This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to some of the daily products that New Yorkers utilize and the regulations that govern what's in them. For this topic, we're joined in the studio by Bobby Wilding, Executive Director of Clean and Healthy. Welcome back to the show, Bobby. Thanks for having me. So you're here to talk with us about legislation designed to promote the regulation of ingredients in quote-unquote personal care products and cosmetics. So what types of products are we talking about here, and what regulations, if any, are currently in place that, that govern what could be in these products? Well, we're basically talking about anything that you would put on your body. So from shampoo and conditioner to deodorant to lotion, all of those perfumes, all of those things. I totally um, used all of those within the last week. Okay, Definitely. Good. Super right. clean. Yes. I mean, statistically, women still apply more of those products to our bodies than men do, but men are catching up. I fight back against really that stuff. really heavily to you guys now. Yep. Um, and so there are... Some federal laws that are supposed to be covering personal care products and cosmetics, but they are woefully out of date. At the end of last year, Congress actually passed a Modernization Act as part of its big omnibus bill. One of the things it did was it said that they were going to set the requirements for what kind of information could be on the label or what they would require manufacturers to report. But they also explicitly said that states had the power to ban toxic chemicals in those products. What we're looking at is how do we actually make sure that the products we're putting on our bodies every day, every morning before we're even really awake, and how do we make sure that those are safe for everybody? So would this legislation restrict certain chemicals from being in products, or would it merely require that they be disclosed to the consumer? It would ban them. So we're talking about banning things like these really complicated sounding words like phthalates and parabens and per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. Easy for you to say. I practice at home in front of the mirror. These are chemicals that can affect our bodies. They disrupt our hormones. They can contribute to cancer, particularly a lot of the research has been done into breast cancer, but they affect a lot of different organs. They can contribute to male infertility as well as female infertility, obesogens. You know, it's really, really how it can have a complex impact on our bodies, and they are not well regulated in the United States. The European Union has gone a lot further in terms of restricting chemicals and personal care products and cosmetics than the United States and California, and now Washington State have some of the stronger bans and restrictions in the country. And where does the list of chemicals that you just read off, for example, where do they come from? Why are those the ones that have been identified as being necessary to keep out of these products? There's been a lot of research over the last few decades into the chemicals that are used in in everyday products, and these come up time and time again as being widely used in a lot of different applications. You're going to find phthalates in personal care products, but also in vinyl siding. So it's widely used, uh, and so that's the, those are the chemicals that have been looked at and they've been identified. So we go through the list of ingredients and we look at what are scientific research showing us about these ingredients and, and come up with a list for restrictions from there. And so does this bill identify the chemicals that would be specifically banned or does it, say, empower Department of Health or the DEC or some other agency to come up with a, a list using its best sciences? So this is based off of a lot of uh, extensive scientific research, but it's a list of chemicals in the bill. So it specifically would ban different classes of chemicals in personal care and cosmetics. And does it make sense to have a stagnant bill like this, or is there a component of this that would allow for the Department of Health or, again, other agencies to, to revisit this issue? Because like you mentioned, at the federal level, this is something where you need 
constant updating. You need modernization. People could find new eights and ides and variations to put into the products. So this bill is a static list, and the reason is that we just don't have the staff at DEC, which is responsible for this these product sectors and regulating toxics and products. They simply don't have the staff at the Pollution Prevention Unit to do the research. They are currently doing a very deep dive on chemicals for disclosure in children's products, and it is a huge task. I very much hope that the governor and the legislature expands that unit with more staff. I know that DEC got a boost this year, but unfortunately not very many are going into this. There's seven people that are looking at all of the regulations for toxics and products, including things like 1,4-Dioxane, the flame retardant bans that have come into play, the Child Safe Products Act, and it's down from 35, where it was before extensive cuts under the Pataki administration and then further along the line over the years. So I look forward to the day that we can come back and actually have the agency up and running and doing this kind of work and analysis, um, but we're not there yet. You mentioned some of the potential risks of the chemicals that are in products right now. How concerned should New Yorkers, for example, be about the risks that they're facing on a day-to-day basis? Are the odds of, say, male infertility high when they're using these products, or is it a very low chance of actually suffering the circumstances that you're outlining here as the possibilities of these chemicals? One of the things that's really challenging in the work that I do focused on toxics is that it's really a combination of all of the different exposures we experience. So we're not just being exposed to these chemicals in our personal care products. They're also in packaging. They're also in cleaning products. They're also in materials that go into our homes. And so the way that I think about this is it's really like adding straws to the camel's back every time you have this exposure, right? Some chemicals process through our bodies very quickly, like phthalates come out very quickly. PFAS chemicals are called forever chemicals because they don't break down and they stay in our body. What we're trying to do here is to ensure people are as healthy as possible by taking as many of those straws off that camel's back as possible. And why is a prohibition the way to go as opposed to merely disclosure and disclosing uh, the risks in a way that uh, consumers can be uh, making informed choices when they go to purchase their deodorant or soap? One answer is people are really busy and very few people are toxicologists. And so when you have disclosure... And none of them work at the DEC, apparently. <laughs> very few. Not enough. Um, but, you know, like when you read an ingredient label on the back of a shampoo bottle, a lot of those words are incomprehensible to ordinary folks. I have to go look them up on the internet, right? And I have an, I studied organic chemistry in college. So really, we want to make sure that products are safe for everybody, whether they're working three jobs and just grabbing something off the shelf for their kid or for themselves, or whether they have all the time in the world. Um, We don't think that this should be a luxury issue. And when you require just disclosure, it means that people who have the time can make different choices than people who don't have the time. It also means that companies make things for the lowest price point that contain harmful chemicals because they're cheaper. And it means that people don't have access to the safe solutions that are out there. Well, I don't know what's in certain cleaning products, but when they put like a skull and bones image on it, I kind of get the idea that I probably shouldn't drink it. So is there not a middle ground when it comes to disclosure where things could be not written in medicalese or legalese, but could be uh, conveying a, a message in a comprehensive but also concise way for those New Yorkers on the go? So one of the things that we look at is what's happening in California with their Proposition 65, which requires a label, and sometimes we see it here in in New York as well, where if products contain carcinogens or reproductive toxicants or mutagens, they they have to put a label on it. Unfortunately, that covers an awful lot of products. 
And so it becomes very difficult to necessarily know which is the safer choice than the other. And we really just believe that companies can do better. All of the chemicals that we're talking about have safer solutions. And so we should be just implementing them so that people are healthier. If this legislation was enacted, would it apply solely to products made in New York or products more broadly sold in New York? So this is a sales prohibition. So it would be irrespective of where it's produced, they would not be able to sell. And that's consistent with a lot of other restrictions we've passed. Bans on BPA in baby bottles, for example, over a decade ago, restricted the sale of BPA in baby bottles. And finally, how would you envision this then being enforced, given the staffing concerns that we're talking about and, I guess, the nebulous nature of some of these products and companies selling things, especially over the Internet? Well, so, A, there are a lot of folks who are out there doing testing. For example, Momovation tests extensively consumer products for PFAS. But also, this is the Attorney General's purview. They do a lot of the enforcement of, of laws like this around lead, around a lot of other things. And so they would be able to, to go out and do enforcement as well. Well, we've been speaking with Bobby Wilding. She's the Executive Director of Clean and Healthy. Bobby, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me, Dave. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.